what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. This pure, innocent love for something, and then society comes in, and you like wake up to like the real world of other, you know, their messaging is messaging that you can't control. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women all types of backgrounds, and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Kishia Rosenberg, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget founder, Asha Gabriel. For as long as she can remember, Sydney has always been passionate about food and cooking. In an attempt to rediscover her love for food after falling trapped to the often obsessive health food world, she began her food blog at Sydney underscore KW. It's inspired by her late French grandmother and her time living in Bordeaux, and she began sharing her meals, recipes, and favorite restaurants. So what started out as just a food Instagram has really turned into this massively successful business called the French Squirrel or French Squirrel. Sydney is now a certified hormone specialist. She specializes in blood sugar management and female health through a nutrition perspective. After experiencing her own hormone imbalances, she discovered a natural and holistic approach to healing her hormones through diet, exercise, and powerful adaptogens and herbs. I am really thrilled to have this incredible woman on our show. It's been a long time in the making. I think she's going to have a lot of really valuable insight and just incredible stories to share with our listeners. So welcome, Sydney, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is a long time coming for me to be on this podcast, so thank you. Yes, absolutely. So um, we talked about this a little bit before, but we usually start our interviews with a little deep dive into your past, and it's kind of um, a sweet homage to how this connection got started because I know you through my sister, who you went to school with, and then Mm -hmm. again, we reconnected through my cousin and through um, one of your close friends, Anna Rook, who was on our podcast not too long ago. So so if you could start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and just kind of how Sydney got started in in this world. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Um, And how for the listeners, how I know um, your sister is through middle school, high school. And it's interesting because she doesn't know, like Cara doesn't know the version of me that was in college and after college. So there's so many different, you know, growth periods. And when your sister knew me, I was so into food in the purest sense. And what I mean by that is that it was just a love for food, a love for cooking, and there was no limitations on anything. I would make rainbow cupcakes. I would make banana bread. I would make, you know, like random recipes, barbecue chicken, all these things. And it had nothing to do with health. It was just I loved food. I grew up around my French grandmother who would always cook beautiful, simple meals. My mom also did too. And I just fell in love with cooking. I didn't even go to a normal like summer camp. I went to cooking school, which I know is so weird, but I was not into the sleepaway camp thing. So 
over the summer, my parents would send me to this cooking school that's not no longer here, actually. It was near Pico in, uh, in L.A. And I would go from 10 to 1 every day during summer. So you would go in the morning, you would learn how to cut vegetables, cook your protein, and then you would all eat lunch together. And that was the end of the, <laughs> the, the day. That's really and, cool. Yeah. And, that, and that's really the old version of me was just purely into food. And then I got to college. I'm fast forwarding a lot of years, mm-hmm. obviously. And maybe this was a little bit delayed, but I I definitely think that especially because of your mission on the podcast, I know that helping other women is my mission too. And I hope mm-hmm. that other women don't go through what I went through. But of course, it's pretty prevalent with today, society, social media. It's pretty impossible almost to not compare your body to other women. And that's kind of what happened to me in college, I would say, and especially in the years that I was living in the sorority house at UC Santa Barbara. And I'm so thankful for it, but that's where I ended up changing my relationship to food. That's what changed it for me. So it was no longer, oh, I just love food. It's how can I eat the healthiest possible to the point where it turned into orthorexia, which is mm-hmm. like the obsession with clean eating. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't even know that I had an issue because that's what's so crazy about these disordered eating habits is that in the in the disguise of health, people think, oh, well, she's just being healthy. But I mm-hmm. think there's a point where it becomes too extreme. So then after that Absolutely. extreme – that obsessiveness, I then found after many years now what my relationship to food is today, which is a balance of both that pure love for food and then the health concept, but not to the point where it's insane. Like I am eating vegetables and protein and beautiful meals of real food ingredients, Mm -hmm. but then I also love smash burgers. And last night I went to dinner with my friend, we went to try a smash burger and we did not like the smash burger and we were already in Silver Lake and he goes, what are the odds you want to go to another smash burger place? And I was like, I'm in. And I had two burgers last night in one night and the old me literally would never. And so it's just, it's crazy. Well, I think this is really fun um, that we're just jumping right into it because one of the things I love about following you is one, I also love food. And I think, um, you know, it is really common and it is really prevalent, as you said, now to have different types of disordered eating. Comparison is something that Asha and I talk about a lot on the podcast because, you know, what we try and impart to our listeners is this ability to find confidence by trusting in yourself. And most of the times when we talk about that, it all boils back down to finding a balanced perspective in order to seek that trust. And so I'm really hearing that messaging come across with your journey with food. You know, you started off in this really joyous place that it sounds like was instilled in you through your family and then through this just joyful experience of going to summer camp where you learned how to employ these new skills to like do something that you love. And then you get to college and it's sort of, to me, reminds me of like the advent of social media. Like when I was growing up, it was like pop sugar and like, you know, 
all all of the tabloid magazines like that was like you'd be walking through the supermarket and you'd see all these things now and probably for you and for like my sister you guys are a little bit younger than me but like you guys really grew up as digital natives where every step of like the hardest most formative years played out in front of not just the peers around you but like hundreds of peers and then like usually like their circles you talk about that shift coming about in college and like disordered eating kind of coming to the forefront do you remember like how that sort of started to spiral for you like when your relationship with food started to become less joyous and more focused on like that pattern yes yes good question and I also I like how you touched on the fact that it starts off as such a pure, joyous thing. And then it's kind of like the evolution of a child, right? Yeah. Like it's this pure, innocent love for something. And then society comes in and you like wake up to like the real world of other, you know, their th- messaging. There's messaging that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And and it's everywhere. It's in ads on the you know on the street in magazines in uh, on social media. Like you can't escape it. Uh, so I think, and it's also even with peers, as you said too. Like it, it also happens within your own circles with friends making comments, with mm-hmm. teachers, doctors making comments. So I think even that is is uh, you know something to note because my relationship of, to food has changed because of like entering society, which I know sounds weird, but that's, that's what it is. The pivotal moment for me and no hate to my doctor who is no longer my doctor, but, um, (laughs) I was a sophomore in college and this was after freshman year. So, you know, the typical, as they say, freshman 15, that did happen to me in hindsight. Let's like, I'm just going to call a spade a spade. (laughs) So, and it wasn't, it just because, you know, I wasn't used to not going to soccer practice every day after school at, in high school and having home cooked meals every day. I was eating out of the dining hall. I didn't know. No one knew really. So I definitely did put on weight, but in general, my natural body type has always been on not the stick thin side. It's just never been like that. And that's my natural body state, but I tried to change it. And Mm -hmm. the reason, and I remember the pivotal moment was from a comment from my general practitioner, general physician, however you say that, um, my doctor. And he had mentioned something like, oh, you know, you can lose a couple pounds. And I was like, what? I never had any self-perception mm-hmm. of my body. I know that's a really weird thing to say. And I said in the beginning of the report of us reporting our interview was that I didn't really have much self-perception of the way that I looked. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to, I, and that's why I said it's delayed. Mm-hmm. It happened to, to girls way before it happened to me, mm-hmm. but a sophomore in college and it's the first time I'm like, oh, someone else's comment was what got me to comment on my own body. And he didn't say anything drastic. He just said, I remember, I remember the exact words. He's like, "Eh, three to five pounds. Yeah. You know, anything about anything, that's nothing. That's like a fluctuation of just like female water weight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I took that and I was like, oh, try to eat healthier. And I 
you know, started to cut back on the meals and make smaller portions. And it just went, it went down the it wrong spiraled. path. Spiraled. And that, that was the moment when I got a comment from somebody else and I took it and it was actually in good, with good intention. I was actually trying to be healthier, make better choices, maybe, um, you know, not eat talkies as much as I did. That was like, <laughs> thing, you know, in, in, yeah. in hindsight, I was doing it from a good place. Yeah. The scary part is that shift from the good place to the bad place. And that mm -hmm. happens very quickly. Yeah. So yeah. such a strong point. I think it's really wild. Um, but not surprising. And I think it maybe it's part of, you know, this very quintessential girl experience in a lot of ways. I hear this a lot that like there's this one point in time where you can just remember, you know, it, it's like really, really common. And the other part that strikes me is that it was from a healthcare provider. And, right. you know, that's what I do in my day job. And I think what we were lacking before is people don't realize how much it can affect a young person, not even just young women, but a young person at a formative time, especially when you're you're seeking your own autonomy, you're learning how to live on your own. There's a bit of innocence lost when you say something like, oh, you could stand to lose this without any real explanation. I think now, you know, especially for myself as a provider, when I talk to some of my patients about, you know, changing habits, we try and focus more on, okay, well, maybe let's focus on strengthening your body, like adding resistance in. And then like, you know, if we want to decrease body fat, like there has to be like a thoughtful conversation behind it. And I think for so many years that just wasn't happening. And, you know, it still happens. You go into the yeah. doctor's office and they see a thousand patients a day and I'm sure they don't mean anything by it, no, but then no, you think about it after. They yeah. don't. And, and, yeah. and my doctor, my previous doctor, did not mm -hmm. think anything of that. It was just a yeah. loose, you know, mm -hmm. comment that he threw out there. But I think that goes to show you that one comment can really, uh, like, mm -hmm. words are powerful. Mm -hmm. you no. Know? Um. And sorry, what do you what do you do? What is your day job? So what field are you in? That's so cool. So. <laughs> I <laughs> so I work I work in concierge medicine. So I I opened a practice with a close friend of mine, and I'm the nursing director and help do everything for patients that we've had for quite a long time. And so it's it's really interesting because I started out in critical care, emergency room medicine, and then took this big shift into private medicine and. You lose a lot, but you gain a lot. And when I say that, it's like you lose the you lose a lot of the community aspect. But I got to take that experience into what I do now, yeah. and what I've gained from it is a really you know a much broader perspective on how medicine is practiced within and outside of the insurance model, and then you know yes. the things that you can do to help people without having a ton of barriers in your way. So it's really interesting. Yes. And also, I mean, I'm sure you have intake forms uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where in your field. And I've noticed even in the last few years, uh, the question has been added to a lot of the intake forms. Have you had experience with disordered eating? Yes or mm -hmm. no? Please explain. Mm -hmm. That's a new addition. I don't remember seeing that when I was younger. So I think it's we're getting somewhere with yeah. that. 
because then I remember going to my current physician who I now I love. She's great. She even said, are you comfortable stepping on the scale? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. And in the last year, two years about, that's now a question. Are you comfortable mm -hmm. with that? She says some patients aren't. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it now. We can yeah. do it, you know? Yeah, no, I love that. And I love hearing that you've experienced this transition and that part of that, you know, has started your journey. And part of that has been a part of this like new journey that you've created for yeah. yourself. So that's, that's really amazing to hear and to understand. Okay. So in college, you have this sort of spiral into this new version of eating where you're like, I'm going to be really healthy about everything. What did that look like for you? Because the freshman 15, and I just want to point this out, and you said this, it's, it's a really normal thing, but it's been stigmatized for literally everyone entering into college academia. Yeah. You know, it seems like a bad thing when in reality, like for 99% of the population, it's their first time living away from home, figuring out what a balanced meal looks like, figuring out how much exercise to do or not to do or what they like to do or you know, so everyone is going through this big, huge transition and figuring things out. And so like, of course, your body changes a little bit and you're not even like through all of your secondary like sexual characteristics or right. growing or anything like that. Like you're right. still very much like not yet an adult. So when you started going down this path, like what did that look like? Uh, yeah, what you said is true. I didn't know like, oh, protein, fat carbs, fiber. Like I didn't know how to build a healthy, I mean, I knew what healthy food looked like because of my, my mom. And she was always cooking really amazing, simple foods. So I knew what it looked like, but when you are, when you have all these things around you at the dining hall, I mean, it yeah. kind of goes out the window. Plus it's like fun. You get to make exactly. your own choices for the first time. Yes. So you're like, oh exactly. yeah, chicken tenders. Yes. Like yes. tacos. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. So what that looked like, I think, because I was already in the sorority house at the time and being in a sorority was one of the best experiences. Actually, I have very bad, like little, little bad things to say about it. Um, the only thing I think that really was not great was, you know, what I was just saying, living in the house and everyone was kind of watching what everybody was eating, making comments and like, you know, I... Even I remember this like distinctly, I was making oatmeal and then like the, I would just watch and this other girl was cutting the banana in half and wouldn't put the full banana on the oatmeal. And I was like, well, I put the full banana on the yeah. oatmeal. And then she says something about why shouldn't it's too much sugar or something like that. And I'm like, what? This is never something that has crossed my mind ever. Because I always looked at real food as real food. And I'm, I've, obviously there are macro and micronutrients in different real whole foods. But it's not like it was a sour – I wasn't putting Sour Patch Kids on yeah. my meal, you know? Yeah. So it was – there were comments like that. So what that looked like is I don't know – it's so interesting because I consider myself pretty strong-headed now. Mm -hmm. But I actually let those comments get to me. I yeah. actually started to do those things like cut half the banana and not put the full banana on it. 
to the point where I became afraid of a fruit. Like, yeah. I don't know how that happened, but I, I it was mimicking what other girls mm-hmm. around me were doing and it was kind of subconscious. I didn't mean yeah. to do it, but when you're like, you have this, this buffet also, which they had beautiful food at the sorority house, you, everyone's lining up and then you don't, you feel bad being the one to put more food on the plate than the girl next to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how we compare ourselves like so, so subconsciously to everyone around us. I mean, I think it's part of human behavior. You just, it's built into us innately, but to a certain point, it really comes at a detriment. Just to backtrack a little bit, I recall you saying your mom's French, your grandmother's French, and that's where a lot of your joy of food came from. The U.S. is notorious for just not being as healthy as Europe in a lot of different ways in terms of like what um, preservatives we use and how processed our food is, et cetera, et cetera. Were there any key differences in your household, like with the way your mom prepared food or the types of food that she had at home that really were part of this and might have played into like the college time? Yes. Yes. Uh, I was going to say maybe, but definitely yes. Uh, My mom and my grandma cooked very like, you know, I don't really have a better word to to describe it. Some people have an issue with the word clean. I personally don't have an issue. It just clean foods, meaning like I don't have, there wasn't a lot of sauces. There weren't a lot Mm -hmm. of oils and salt to use. It was very simple. Mm-hmm. So we have this, this is so funny, but every Wednesday we have salmon night and it's because of my late French grandmother and how she would prepare the salmon is just putting it with literally nothing but some oil, olive oil on the top and broiling it in the mm-hmm. oven. That's it. No sauce, no spices, no garlic, yeah. anything. the green beans steamed, the potato just in the oven baked, nothing. Yeah. So I would always apologize to my friends when they would come over and I'm like, you know, it's not really that flavorful. It's very <laughs> – and they're like, yeah, it's okay, Sydney. Don't worry. And there was always salt on the table. So that that definitely played a role maybe if we go back like psychologically, mm-hmm. potentially coming to college. It, it was like, oh, I have mac and cheese and tacos and all these things and I didn't have that before. So yeah. I don't – I think it's going to be really interesting when we jump forward a little bit later into the way you've built your business, too. Okay. Um, but I asked that question just because, well, one, we were recently in France. And every time I'm in Europe, I'm like, it's crazy. The food just tastes better. And it's not yes. like you're really ordering things that are that different. But there is a big difference in the shift of how food is prepared and mm. sold. And um, things taste different when they're not loaded with sodium and preservatives. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really interesting. I grew up in a household where my mom cooked very clean. You know, she's from the Philippines, but she traditionally Filipino food is very heavy in sodium and sauces and everything. And I think my mom kind of was going against the grain. So when we were growing up, it was like a lot of whole vegetables, fishes, meats, like, you know, real foods with like a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of salt and pepper. And like, that's how I learned how to cook. And so I'm actually not a big fan of like salmon with a bunch of stuff all over it because it just tastes yeah. weird to me. It's like, no, you you have to actually taste the food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 100%. And also like I'm I'm talking about like our dinners. Mm-hmm. I, I ate candy and cookies yeah. and cake. Like I had a great childhood. It was not – the meals were not restrictive. It didn't – it was mm-hmm. just healthy. It was yeah. not from a bad place. Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> it was just good. And it, exactly as you said, the salmon was just salmon, not thrown around in a bunch of sauces to the point where you can't even taste the salmon anymore. I don't know. Yeah. So Yeah. So where where along your journey, like in college, did you kind of start reeling things back and realizing that, you know, one, you became cognizant that your your relationship with food had really changed? And then how did that start to pivot into what you're doing now? Great question. I would say, well, first, there was just a visible weight loss and dip in energy. I Mm -hmm. had zero energy. And I also lost my period for three years. And I'm very open about this on my Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Very open about this on my Instagram because that's my mission behind everything is, you know, again, to like educate other women and through my experiences. Mm-hmm. And three years is a long time. Yeah. Um, I went to so many doctors and until I was ready to accept the plain and simple fact of you need to gain more weight, then that's when everything went in the positive direction. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is I think like, you know, all the, a lot of women I know try to find any other solution to their health problem Yeah. besides I need to gain weight or I need to eat more, I need to exercise less or like they, they look for other things. I did it. I was looking for other things. Oh, I'm going to take this. Let me take that. Let me do this. Let me do that. But then it it came down to only one thing, which is that I just needed to gain weight. And my period was the main driver for all of this. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's as you know, a marker of female health. If you don't have it, then you aren't, quote unquote, you're not healthy. Uh, yeah. You're not fertile enough to produce a child, which is our, you know, like our innate, <laughs> like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a horrible thing. So that was what shocked me into, into, into this because my doctor said, if you don't change this, you will have a tough time having kids. And mm-hmm. she diagnoses me with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Then I was like, okay. And that's what shook my brain, snap out of it. <laughs> and I started to eat more. I went to a Chinese herbalist who Mm -hmm. helped me with what foods to eat. I went to acupuncture every week. I stopped all intense exercise for, I think, three plus months. That was Mm -hmm. so hard for me. She said, Mm -hmm. no exercise, only walking. I'm like, okay. And as for someone who was running on the treadmill every single day, that was very difficult for me. That's a huge leap. I mean, you must have been shocked to be sitting, one, to be young. And like when you're young, it feels like nothing in the world can get you. Like you're never going to die. You're never going to break down. You're never going to get sick because like, frankly, you could drink yourself to oblivion one night and then the next morning, like go run a marathon. Like that's just how young people function. Or if you don't drink, it's like whatever you stay up until 7 a.m. and then like go to your first class and like somehow make it through and you're fine. You know, I want to also make the point here, like disordered eating, we we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it can be really insidious. And I like that you bring up and that you're open about your diagnosis of orthorexia because a lot of times, you know, young women, young men, young people, 
are not really aware that there's more than just like two versions of eating disorders. Like there's more than just like anorexia and bulimia. Like there are people who just become like so OCD about exercising um, or so OCD about having healthy habits and all of these things, you know, some of them have names, some of them don't, but they are a form of disordered eating, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to interfering with like your physical health. And it's incredible that that path can, you know, literally change your body physiology to not having a period for three years. Like, that's a big deal, like you said. One, that must have been super shocking. And two, like your doctor was saying these things, but then you found a pathway to all of these resources, which is really cool, like Chinese medicine, eating more, like listening to the advice to not work out as strenuously. Was it difficult to take that first step or did you feel really supported? Like, did you lean on family and friends? There was a lot of intricacies in that. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just, oh, okay, doctor, and then now doing acupuncture. Mm -hmm. That's not at all how it went. I just skipped. I was actually told I need to go on birth control. And I said to my doctor, this is the the thing, and I'm not anti-birth control at all. Mm -hmm. I but I'm anti-birth control for the purpose of bringing something back that we should have naturally. I think that's really so, so amazing of you to say. Keep going. Keep going. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person who's anti-Western medicine or, you know, only – there's a blend. I believe Mm -hmm. blend. And she – my doctor told me, oh, you need to go on birth control. And my mom was sitting with me there. My mom goes, why wouldn't you go on birth control? if the doctor says to go on birth control. And I looked at her and I go, mom, why should I take a pill for something that I should have naturally? I should produce it naturally. And I have a bunch of friends who are on birth control. Um, They had it for various reasons. You know, if they had a boyfriend or if they needed help with skin or they had painful periods. If that's your last resort, I understand. And it's a great invention. So again, not hating on it. I think my problem is when, personally, my opinion, when doctors prescribe it for a reason like mine, mm-hmm. where it's just, oh, it's not, you don't have your period, let me just give you a pill. When I think it's fair to ask questions as a patient, that's your right. And mm-hmm. there should be a conversation. Like the whole idea of healthcare and of having a doctor that you trust is being able to have that conversation so that you together can land on a plan. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for people, one, being the driver of their own plan. Like, they should be in the driver's seat. They yeah. own their health care information, et cetera, et cetera. But also, like, there is a blend. You don't have to jump to medication. And your provider should be just more than willing to have that conversation with you. Like, okay, you're not, you're not keen on meds. Like, here's three other versions we can try yes. first. Like, 100%. let's do it. No, it's very well said. And of course, like you have experience in this space. So I I, um, I really respect you. So it's amazing. Oh, my gosh. No, I mean, I just yeah. I listen and I, I don't want to like tout my own imposter no, no. syndrome right now. But, no, 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 no. but seriously, no, but I mean, it's just about listening cool. and communication. Yes, yeah. it's cool because I'm telling you about my experience with the like primary care space and then you're working mm-hmm. in it. So it's cool. And as I said, there have been so many developments since like the last few years. But I... I told her I don't want to do that. And then she said, okay, well, let me give you a progesterone patch. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. 
didn't understand really what that was. And I tried it for a few weeks, actually. Put it on my back or wherever it was. Mm -hmm. For the listeners, progesterone is what actually induces the period um, and actually makes you have it. It didn't even work. uh, And I gave up after a few weeks. I just told my mom, I don't want to do this. I don't like Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then I just had a weird feeling. just didn't want it. And I essentially tried it. I tried it out. Then I remember having a conversation with my uncle, my mom's brother. And, and he's super into health, you know, even though this was a female issue. And I said to my parents, I'd like to go see this doctor that my uncle is talking about, this Chinese European. And... I went to see her, my French grandmother, my late French grandmother, who my company is named after, French Squirrel, she actually saw this Chinese herbalist. I had no idea. Um, No one in my family talked about it. And my family- Wait, did your uncle know when he recommended him? Yes. And he said, actually, your grandma went to go see this woman. Why don't you go see her? So he came with me to the first, like the initial consult. And my uncle, who, like, he, we're close, but, like, not like that. It was kind of it was funny uh, thinking about it. Like, in hindsight, that was kind of something that I wouldn't really do is take my uncle to it. <laughs> but um, no judgment at all. My parents, though, and my brother are the types of people that take anything the doctor prescribes. Anything they say, they do. My dad says he has white coat syndrome, like, you know, like anything that they do. And I'm just personally not like that. I like to be involved more and do my own research. So then I went to go see the Chinese herbalist. And she said, I will help you get your period back. And I said, okay. And I took every piece of advice she gave. And that's because I was ready for that advice Mm -hmm. again. So many women are like, oh, I need help getting my period back. Oh, I have I have bloating issues, digestion issues. I hear bloating, bloating, bloating every day mm-hmm. in my messages to in my Instagram DMs. And I'm sorry, this is very harsh, but I bet you half those girls are just not eating enough. They're restricting themselves. I had so many digestion issues when I was restrictive. I have zero digestion issues now. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I eat everything. And I, I know that's harsh and it's not what girls want to hear. They want to hear like, oh, ginger, bone broth, peppermint tea. Like that's all great. But, yeah. But you need the balance of having yeah. food in your system. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be meeting your caloric yeah. like. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents thought I was a little nuts. And they didn't really believe it. I did have some resistance. So when you say support, they were supportive, but they were like, I don't know if I buy this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I said, okay. I almost gave up because that's how long it took to get my period back. Mm -hmm. She told me eat one whole avocado a day, no smoothies because everything in Chinese medicine, you have to keep your body warm. Mm-hmm. And in order to be fertile, like this area has to, like the uterus area has to be warm and anything cold is not good. Mm-hmm. So I stopped drinking smoothies, only warm foods. She said no exercise, as I said. And I took these herbs every day, three times a day. And everyone thought I'm crazy for mm-hmm. taking little pills after every single meal. And I went to acupuncture every day. 
and she put a heat lamp on my uterus mm-hmm. again to induce like, you know, the heat. And uh, yeah, everyone thought I was crazy. And then about two and a half months in, I felt these weird cramps and they, and I was like, oh, I have not felt that in many years. And that that's essentially, that was me ovulating and I didn't even know. And then about, you know, 15 days later, so I, I was like around the three, three and a half month mark, mm-hmm. I got my period. And I almost, that I almost gave up because of how long it took. I was like, this is not working. What am I doing? And I started to doubt myself. But that's the thing. Eastern medicine is taking everything from the inside, actually getting to the root of the of the issue, which takes a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like Western medicine where you take a pill and it's something is fixed. There's no banding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know whether you um, believe in Eastern Western medicine or a blend of both, which I personally, mm-hmm. in my own life and in practice, believe in both you know, there is a blend and a balance. And I think, you know, there is a pill for everything if you want it, but you have to weigh all of the options. And I think there are so many different natural ways to try things before you jump to a medication. Now, that that might not necessarily be the case in every situation. In an emergency case, give me all the meds. Give my patient all the meds. Yes. But in a situation like this where you're working on something chronic like inflammation or your period going away, hormone balance, like these are things that absolutely take time. Healing your gut takes time and it takes patience yeah. and perseverance. And, you know, to do things the right way is to restock that foundation. And I think that's exactly the process you're describing. So I think your body, like your your acupuncturist was really smart in focusing on giving your body rest. You hear the hot, cold thing. And I don't, you know, I don't know enough about Eastern medicine in terms yeah. of the studies for the, the hot and cold. I know that that is a big part of the process. Yes. But smoothies themselves are also like, you know, it takes away a lot of like that fibrous mineral, like all the good stuff that you need out of whole fruits and vegetables. Uh-huh. And so like that is also part of that, you know. I and think I like, drink smoothies, but my yeah. family and I—we've had a whole like hour <laughs> conversation about the concept of smoothies. Yeah, like I still drink them. I, yes. I'm not gonna lie, but my brother goes on to say, "Do you think that as humans, we were meant to put all these things together <laughs> and and digest it?" And actually, no. Like, yeah. it's not it's not actually how we were meant to consume things if we go back mm-hmm. years and years and years, no one had a blender to do that. But again, it's I don't want to, like, ruin it for anyone because smoothies are fun. But, you no, know, they're so fun, but it, it it's really all about balance. And yes. um, I could definitely geek out and go into that space yeah. of, like, <laughs> ancestral eating, which is, you know, yeah. more and more people are really, I think, like, maybe 10 years ago. And, and me, I mean, I'm sure if I asked my dad, who's, like, read every book about food ever, like, he'd say there was some version of this at some time. But, like, paleo diets and, um, you know, like, even what was that one, the Atkins diet, which yes. there was, like, another version of the Atkins diet that came out a couple years ago. Yeah. And I had a couple of patients that were like, we only eat red meat, like no oh, other food. Right. And they said that their their eczema went away. And I was like, this doesn't sound like it. Like, it sounds good for your eczema, but really bad for like every other part of your body. Yeah. So- <laughs> it's anything extreme. Again. Yeah, exactly. 
no, yeah, I, I appreciate all of that. And it's, uh, it was a journey. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a journey. But that was really like touching on the rest thing that you said and asking how that got me to the point of, you know, where I am now is that I even, this is a whole, a whole different topic and a little woo woo, but like the masculine feminine energy, yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And I had way too much testosterone. Mm -hmm. That's what was going on. I was like exercising all the time. I didn't rest at all. I wasn't, you know, like eating enough healthy fats either Mm -hmm. and carbs, anything that was just, it's it's good for female hormones. Hence the Uh, avocado a day. Yes. Yes. And like I was just not eating enough protein, all of it. Um, And my Chinese doctor said the avocado resembles the female uterus in Chinese medicine. So I always. Oh, it's so interesting to me because a lot of these things like I guess at face value, they do kind of sound woo woo, but there is a lot of science behind them. Like omegas and like natural fats like that are so good for you. They're really good for women and they're really good for the natural female processes. So, yeah. It's not nothing. <laughs> right. No, not yeah, nothing. Yeah. And, and just in general, like mm-hmm. I was too much in my masculine. Yeah. And how I got here now, I'm, I'm still working on it even mm-hmm. years later, which is okay. Like, yeah. I talk to myself, you know, Sydney, chill and not <laughs> don't be so in control. Uh, you don't need to be in your masculine all the time. And I think that's what I'm working on currently with, you know, being a founder, CEO, it's masculine energy and it's fun and and it's awesome to be in your boss energy, but not all the time. And I don't want to be, I think, Mm -hmm. I think I need to challenge uh, myself to to be more feminine sometimes and channel that. So I that's why I do dance and yoga and cooking and you know I don't mind washing the dishes at people's houses because yeah it just makes me feel like feminine. I don't it's know. The cre- it's the creative, like less structured, more you know yeah maternal and empathetic like part of our our bodies. It's that yin and yang, like you said. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about. French squirrel. So I, one of my questions that I wanted to ask was why the name? And then you briefly said it was, you know, in homage to your grandmother. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause was, I mean, her name wasn't squirrel. (laughs) Her name was Sarah. Mm -hmm. Um, she was the most amazing human I've ever come across. And anyone that knew her would say the same. Um, a lot of, a lot of people say we have similar energies She's the quintessential French woman. She was Mm -hmm. the quintessential French woman. Red lipstick, pearls, a scarf, like never left the house unless she was all like, you know, dolled up. Mm -hmm. And she had a very thick, like heavy French accent. And French people have a difficult time pronouncing the word squirrel. So (laughs) I would always make fun of that. And like squirrel, um, even English people like squirrel, like people don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) And uh, my mom was buying domain names on GoDaddy. Mm-hmm. That was her thing a couple of years ago. I must have been maybe 11 years old. I don't know. And she asked if I wanted a domain name. And I said I wanted FrenchSquirrel.com. And I did not know through all these years that my mom was paying the $5.99 or whatever it was. Oh, my God. Every year until I got to college and I said, I want to start a food Instagram 
And it was actually called French Squirrel because I was like, oh, I have a website called French Squirrel. I'll just, I own that website. So let me just use it. And then the rest is history. And I was like, okay, when I, when I started the product, I already had the website. So (laughs) (laughs) I know it's weird. weird No, it's not. It's actually, so oddly, this is like, this is a business thing. And a specific example comes to mind. And I actually, it's the opposite in that this was like kind of a ridiculous way. But you know, the origin of Lululemon, like how the guy, the founder named it Lululemon because at the time he thought it was funny that most Asian business partners couldn't pronounce the L. And so they'd have to say Ruru Remen because it was like there were so many L's in the name and it's like terrible. So this is the opposite version where you're like actually paying homage to somebody respectfully. But different ways of naming things for different reasons. Yeah. Um, And both of you are very successful for very different reasons. And it's it's memorable, you know, like not it's a company name that you always remember. And that's. And, and sometimes I laugh even still to this day. I've been in business three years. And when I have to pick up the phone and say, hi, this is Sydney calling from French Squirrel. It's still weird. I still laugh because it's hysterical. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, though, that it's kismet. I love that it's, you know, that it's in memory of your grandmother. I love the I know that you recently switched your branding. So it looks a little bit different. But I love how the squirrel has like the little scarf and beret. Like it's, it's just so adorable. And so for somebody who loves packaging and loves branding, like it's everything you want in something. Right. My friend actually drew that. Oh, really? I was in France, studying in France. And I know you mentioned it in the intro on it when I was studying in Bordeaux. She drew that for me as like a birthday present. And it was the sweetest thing. And I just digitized it. And that was my logo. Yeah, I love how all of this has really sentimental meaning. I think I I really do. I really do. So you start your blog. You start with recipes that you love again. I'm seeing this transition back into the joyful area of cooking, eating, consuming, sharing food with the world. What was it like? Like, when did you start to really gain traction? And what did that feel like? Like, what did it look like for you? Like, cause it's, you oh know, it's the wild west. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I, I start off by saying I don't have that large of a following at all, but I have a very loyal one. I mean, it's unbelievable. I actually like the people who follow me, like they're real followers and yeah. they're very engaged and they trust my content a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm I feel like, oh, maybe I'm posting too many stories today. And then I get messages. We love your reviews. Keep them coming. Love the honesty. Love yeah. the honest reviews. <laughs> I love um, like trying things in front of the mm-hmm. camera, different foods. That's my thing. I started to gain traction, I think, when I actually owned the fact that I have this food Instagram. So I hid it from so many people. No one knew it was me. It was just the squirrel logo. (laughs) I was embarrassed. I was a senior in college. Sorry, a junior in college. Yeah. And I, you know, was living in Santa Barbara. I started it more so when I was in France and no one knew it was me. I didn't say Sydney. It was like this anonymous account with a squirrel emoji. It was so weird. Like no one knew that it was me. And when I actually started to gain traction, 
was when I was like, okay, I am also Sydney. This is my <laughs> hosting on both pages. And it was, it was this thing where, uh, and I even recently deleted my personal one that I had from mm-hmm. since high school, which was like a, another version of my Sydney KW Instagram. And it doesn't sound like a big deal to people, but I had three Instagrams. I had yeah. a regular account. I had like my recipe page and then I had my company page. Mm-hmm. And I would, for example, go on a date with a guy and I would give them my Instagram that I never used. But it was an old version of me just for photos of me and it didn't have anything to do with food. And I was like, mm-hmm. why do I have this? Yeah. This is well, stupid. I'm That's not me anymore. I do like talking about blood sugar and peanut butter and hormones and all these things. And uh, this is my page. So I got rid of uh, French Squirrel as the recipe page and I made mm-hmm. it Sydney KW and this is me. And that's when <laughs> I actually started to gain more of a following because I owned it. It's really earnest and it's very honest and <laughs> it's it's so just unique and lovely and so you like it's so like such a great example of who you are as a person (laughs) it's like all of these things came together and like morphed into this one thing yeah I also like the idea and the concept of getting rid of an Instagram is not something I've ever thought about before and I (laughs) and I realized that in this new wild west world like most people pick an Instagram have one Instagram for the like the duration and then there's this like desire this deep desire for everybody to brand themselves and to stick to whatever that brand is and to make sure that that's your story from like here on out and what I really love about this journey and about your story is that you kind of like figured out how to streamline all of this in a really authentic way it's like there are no rules here like Sydney's making her own rules and this is what it is that's really fun and really awesome so the food the Mm -hmm. snacks they're amazing what sparked because I'm pretty sure and you can correct me please correct me but I'm pretty sure that your initial product was the bateau am I pronouncing that right like the right that was my second product oh it was what was the first I started with the berets which are the protein bites and then I launched the bateau, and then now I have the bizou, which are oh, if for everyone that is listening, they're all French names, but <laughs> they don't mean like a beret is something I came up with. Yeah, it's not or actually my boss, my my boss Vito from when I was working <laughs> at Air One corporate offices. He's the one who came up with beret mm-hmm. genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's so cute because they actually do kind of look like little berets. But those are the ones that are filled with like the protein, like almond butter or peanut butter. Okay. And then the bateau is like the date with like the almond and peanut butter with the chocolate. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Snickers, but like just healthier, healthy, like no, no preservatives, no binders, like best quality chocolate. I had no idea that you started at Erewhon. Yes. So I was working full time for Erewhon and how I started the business was I would bring those protein bites to Mm -hmm. the office. No intention of starting. it. That was just my snack. Mm -hmm. I would bring those protein bites to my office and I would eat them at my desk every day around like 3, 4 p.m., like my afternoon snack. And my boss, Vito, would always say, why are you eating the same thing every day? 
are you not going to share it with anyone? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I didn't know you wanted to try this, but okay. So I gave one to him and he goes, these are insane. Why are you not packaging them? You need to start your own business and package them. And I thought he was insane. And I just went with his advice. And that was my first product. Oh, well, my God. I actually, okay, so I need to know more. So Vito yeah, comes up with this idea yes. and okay. he coins the term beret. One, yes. is he on your payroll? Two, what was I the know. first thing that you had to do in order to make this snack into a reality? So like I call him like he's he's more like he is a business advisor. For me, I'm very, yeah. very thankful for him. French Squirrel would not be what it is today at all if it, if it weren't for him. Um, and a lot, it says a lot about Erewhon as well as a company, because I know, you know, from other friends that do their own side hustle, they can't be vocal about the fact that they're doing a side hustle mm -hmm. because, you know, companies don't like that typically, but they were so supportive of me and they continue to be. He said, you should start your own business. You should start packaging these. I took his his advice. I went to a commercial kitchen. I, you know, ended up connecting with a graphic designer who I found from Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I was packaging them in these cellophane bags with the label. I didn't know what I was doing. I think when people ask me, they say, how did you think of starting this business? And I know it's not what, what people want to hear, but I didn't know I was starting a business. I know mm -hmm. that sounds weird. It was just like an extension of my passion, like to make these protein bites. And I wasn't sitting here, okay, what's my business plan? What do I plan mm -hmm. to do in revenue? And what are my sales projections? I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to even order ingredients at wholesale cost. I was buying them at retail value. I was, you know, making them in the commercial kitchen and kind of just seeing where it went. And my boss said to me, he goes, where are you with your protein bites. Like, you know, I got my incorporation, did all the legal filings. Mm -hmm. I set up the Instagram. I did photo shoots. And he's like, why haven't you launched yet? And I was like, I don't know. It's not really ready. Yeah. And he's like, just do it next week. Just launch. <laughs> and I love him. But, you know, he's just very, like, intense. Yeah. It's actually what pushed me to do it. His intensity is what got me to be where I am today because he's like, why are you waiting? Because I was waiting for it to be perfect and there's no such thing. And my favorite quote is from the founder of LinkedIn, actually. That's if you are not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you didn't launch soon enough. That could not be more true. I am definitely embarrassed about the first couple <laughs> of, of the product, but I, but I got it out there. Yeah. And I talk to so many founders all the time and wannabe founders, and they go, oh, well, it's not this. It's been years in development. It's been months in development. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just get something out there. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest hurdle is like to announce it to the world. And I couldn't have done it without him. I love that. It's proof of concept and it's inspiration all in one. Like you took something that, as you said, is an extension of yourself and just took that leap of faith and yes. like good on Vito for encouraging <laughs> you and sticking to it because no, it's like, very like rare. Before. Yeah. Like when people like that come into your life, hold on to them because yeah. 
you know, it's hard to find people who are going to genuinely cheerlead for you. And so, I mean, that's part of why Asha and I love what we do so much. It's like we get to talk to all of these amazing people and like keep them as a part of our community. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. So also, I was going to say on that, keeping people in your life like him, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. also on the flip side, keeping people in your life who will tell you when something's wrong or when mm-hmm. something's bad, what, who, who are honest. You know, he would taste different versions of different products that I would give him. What do you think? And, and a lot of people don't tell you what they really think because they're yeah. afraid of your feelings. And it's important to keep people around that tell you regardless of your feelings. Like, I don't yeah. like this. What did your parents think? Because I remember you saying that they were like, not totally sold in the Chinese medicine, but once you got to this oh. stage where oh, you're yeah, like they- making these delicious snacks, were they taste testers? Yes, and they're totally <laughs> on board. My parents are amazing, and I also couldn't have done this without them. And my mom is like my biggest fan. <laughs> Naturally, and, yeah. yeah. And my she doesn't stop talking about my company, which is the sweetest thing ever. And my dad as well, very supportive and. uh always interested in the food business. Uh, he, My dad's a lawyer. He just is interested in how the food business operates. Uh, and mm-hmm. I share a lot of that with him because it is very difficult. So. Yeah. And different. My husband's in the beverage industry, which is okay. not a far cry from... No, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah so he's been doing it for a while and you're just like, this is very intricate and not something that I would be good at, but he's great at it. <laughs> Before we kind of wrap this up, like the world of food and CPG, which is consumer packaged goods, is a beast in and of itself. And just the way that you got started, you know, just very intuitively following kind of like what your passion was leading you through is really, I think, amazing. Because like you said, you didn't really have a business plan. You didn't have like a big angle. You just wanted to put these snacks that you loved out there. And then from what I can see, you just keep churning out like deliciousness to the the general population. What have some of your biggest challenges been when scaling this and growing this? Like, do you do you have help? Is it just you? Like, what does this look like for you now? Yeah, Um I have a co-manufacturer now. Mm -hmm. So that period of time where I was making the product lasted only a couple months, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm so grateful for because I could not have done that any longer, (laughs) making Mm -hmm. the product and finding a co-manufacturer, co-packer for anyone listening. That's essentially a, your partner who manufactures the product for you. And, you know, that's how- you have to find the right fit. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's one struggle. Is I think if you talk to any CPG brand, finding the manufacturer that's right for you is the hardest part of the food industry, I think, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because it's almost this trust and uh, relationship that you have to build with this partner, this company that's saying it's this awkward phase where it's, you know, I have sales, I have a following, I'm not a huge company yet. I will be, but I'm not a huge company yet. Can you help me grow this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important part is finding that partner who's willing to take a risk on a small but budding 
business. So that's one. Two, I am really a one-woman show still, but I do have amazing interns and I have my business advisor, Lauren, who mm. is amazing. She actually works with Akasha too. So um, Alex and Ashley know her and it's because of Anna and Alex that I work with Lauren. So mm -hmm. she's amazing. She works with a bunch of CPG brands and really helps me in ways that I can't even describe because it's just having a second brain even to remind me of things that are like to tell me things I didn't even think about. Yeah. At yeah. All. I think it's really cool because you're doing this alone, yet you're finding different ways to leverage resources through really trusted sources. So is the CPG world, I'm going to presume that it's male dominated? Uh, yes. <laughs> just, just, a, just a guess. Yeah. So yeah. what's one tip that you have for our followers who are really interested in going down a path like this? How are you cultivating this group of people around you? And how do you like find your folks like in this extremely male dominated industry? Yes. I would say I'm very much an energy person and that means that when I get on the phone with someone, I kind of know instantaneously that I want to work with them or I don't. And it and it's in the span of five minutes actually. <laughs> and you know, it's the same thing with dating. It's just I get you get a feel, you get the vibe. Is this person gonna work with me or are they not? Like is this a good fit or is it not a good fit? And the second I hopped on the call with Lauren, I knew it was a good fit. And I, I also work with this amazing food-focused CFO who's helped me out. And it's through contacts as well. And also just not being afraid to speak up and, and voice what you need or what you're looking mm -hmm. for. And I think uh, in my parents' generation or like previous generations, it's this hush-hush mentality. Like do not talk about what you're looking for or what you're lacking or what help you need. It's mm -hmm. figure it out on your own. Don't voice it to the entire world. And I think where our generation is different is let's all help each other um, and say, I can write on LinkedIn, hey, I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. Or I can tell one CPG founder, which I did, I said, I'm looking for someone who is a specialist with CPG finance. So I have a bookkeeper accountant, but they're good at their jobs as being an accountant and bookkeeper, but they don't know about the food industry. And so mm -hmm. I actually voiced out loud to all my friends in the CPG space, if you know of anyone who does food and finance together, please let me know. And after a couple times of saying it, speaking it out into existence, I found this woman and I listened to her podcast. She has a podcast too. Her name's Sarah Delavan, the good food CFO. And I reached out to her and I said, I've heard great things about you and now I'm working with her. So again, also an energy thing, had great energy with her. And she also, I think, focuses mostly on women-owned brands, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope that answered the question, but I think it's like, voicing where you need help and then the right people will come. No, I think it's absolutely the perfect answer because what you're really saying here is like you say what you need. You speak this mm -hmm. into existence. And I think you're so right that, you know, our parents' generation really, you know, and they, every generation respectively goes through a lot. And I think what our parents went through in the times that they grew up really did lend to this idea of, okay, figure it out. 
and be resourceful, which can go a very, very long way. But I agree that one of the things that's quite different in this generation, and perhaps it is that interconnectedness, is we're a lot more willing to seek help and to look for resources. And I think it's a really, again, it goes back to that balance of like, you know, trust in yourself to make the right decisions and trust in yourself to be the executor of your actions. But do not be afraid to ask the right questions or to ask right. any question. Yes. And it's challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I get asked a lot of questions like, mm-hmm. hey, where do you get this from? And it's like, I can't share everything about <laughs> either. You know, it's there's a balance. You're like, here's the recipe. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, you're like, oh, what brand of this do you use? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm sorry. It's proprietary. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's another good point, learning when to answer the questions and when to refrain. And I and I want to help other people. I always yeah. do. I always do. But there's that, as you said, there's a balance, like being resourceful, like to figure it out on your own and then also asking for help where you need it, like but a yeah. balance of both. Absolutely. Well, I'm so excited just being a follower of you, knowing of you, now having interviewed you. <laughs> Thank you your brand and how you've scaled and grown and created such an incredible, delicious product that is actually quite healthy in terms of dessert snacks and foods. I mean, if you eat 10 bags, I don't know how healthy that is, but it is healthy. They're meant to be satisfying because there there are no preservatives and no soy lecithin, no um, emulsifiers or weird sweeteners that actually Mm -hmm. alter your fullness cues, by the way. Like a lot of sweeteners trick you into thinking that you are like getting the sugar, but you're not. And that's also something like with a lot of people ask me, like how many of these protein bites should I eat? How many of this should I eat? I get that question all the time. It's like there's actually only real ingredients in it. So your body will actually tell you how much to eat of it. Yeah. Like Like if your body says a bag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but you know what I mean, you know? No, 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 no. You're yeah. absolutely right. Like, it is a real thing. And I really enjoy that you've put so much thoughtfulness into literally, you know, not just the branding, the detailing, the taste, the flavor, the ingredients, but also how these ingredients impact your consumers and how they enjoy them and how they consume them. I think it's really thoughtful of you as a founder and as a creator of packaged goods. and. It really shows in the quality and taste and just the overall, you know, everything of French Squirrel. It's it's Thank incredible. You. Thank you. I would love to keep you all night, but I can't do that. So <laughs> we'll have to talk about bringing you back in some capacity. In the yes. meantime, I would love to start closing this out with our fast five questions, which are just fun little ways to kind of shake off the seriousness of the episode mm-hmm. before we close out with our final moments. Number one, what is your all-time favorite comfort food? Oh my God, pad thai. (laughs) Delicious. Number two, least favorite bite or food you've ever had? Fennel. I don't like fennel. Really? Yes. Um, (laughs) It's so specific. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, because I usually like all foods. I'm very I yeah. Love but <laughs> like black licorice to me, and I don't like it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Number three, if you had to give up one, would you give up chocolate or peanut butter? 
(laughs) I'm going to go with I'll give up peanut butter because there's so many other alternatives that like sunflower butter that that's true so, I'll have to think know. of a trickier question next time. I was like, I this one's going to be like a stalemate. This <laughs> is my love. So Okay. You know. And you can't do like any of the chocolate alternatives. Like what are those other like? Oh my God. Name? Like Arab? No, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Me neither. Yeah. Um, number four. How do you close out hard dates? Hard days? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like before you go to bed, like how do you just kind of reset? Okay. Sounds weird, but my favorite thing to do I sit in my apartment and kind of sit on the floor, like the carpet, and I'm not even sitting on the couch, but I'm just on the floor and I'm like eating my dinner and it's just a nice way to unwind and I watch Mm -hmm. a show and make some tea, but it's the sitting on the floor thing. (laughs) That sounds weird, but that's my favorite thing to do and it really calms me down when I have a bad day. It's your safe space. I yeah. like that. <laughs> okay. Conversely, how do you start your best days? Mm. Without looking at my notifications, number one. So being present, um, getting sunlight in my eyes, circadian rhythm. Yes. Uh, and making a really beautiful, nourishing breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. And everyone knows that I just kind of need that silence in the morning. That's mm-hmm. my, my thing. And going to either make a coffee or walk to get a coffee in the morning. So that's my that's my favorite thing to do. Which, by the way, I have to say your coffee and drink content is like to <laughs> die for. <laughs> I'm like, job. I have I so many job. like to do like places to visit now just from following me. <laughs> well, because but, so now that I'm full time with the business, mm-hmm. I have to get out of the house and not work yeah. from home. So then I go and I'm like, oh, which coffee shop should I try today? I love that. I love that. All right. We ask this question of all of our guests. What was one quality you had as a young woman or a teen that you didn't take pride in then, but that you look back at now and you really admire? Mm. I would say, can I say two things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. One, I would say maybe my weirdness. Like I think everyone is weird. The coolest people are weird. And if you're not weird, you're boring, you know, (laughs) boring in a bad way, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And like embracing that. And I'm not like every, everyone else. I'm unique to me. And I used to, I would like hide that part of myself or like feel embarrassed about certain like music that I liked or certain foods that I liked. And now I, even I'm still like, on Instagram, I am fully myself and it's my place to just be weird and be funny. And even still, I kind of catch myself sometimes be like, is that too weird to post? But it's not that weird. And people like people that are different and unique. So that's something that as a kid, I would have like, I tried to hide and now I'm just like, yes, I am weird and that's me. <laughs> and then a second thing would be, um, I always, I was a very hard worker in high school, middle school, I studied so much. Like now looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? But all of those moments led me to here, like to go to an amazing school and then to be able to have the skills to start my own business and, and be diligent. Like I 
I'm very motivated into self-motivation. I I don't like need it from anywhere else. It's my own thing. Sometimes it's too much. Maybe I'm too much, but that's what got me here. So I think before I would be like, why did I always study so much? I was like such a nerd, but okay, that's where I am now. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I really, it's something that is bringing me so much joy. Like if our listeners could see my face through some of these interviews, <laughs> it would be so embarrassing because one thing I love so much is not just authenticity, but it's this desire to really embrace that inner weirdness and to yes. like just let yourself explode like into the world. And I think that's one thing, you know, and it's not that people do it without fear or without self-consciousness, but it's just taking that courageous leap of self-confidence just to yes. do it and just to like live with the consequences afterwards. And most of the time, if not all the time, they're really beautiful consequences. There are things that create yes. companies like French Squirrel and enable women like you to continue telling their stories and sharing their stories with our listeners. And I cannot thank you enough for coming onto our podcast and just delivering all of this goodness to everyone. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they buy French Squirrel? Tell us everything. So um, website, frenchsquirrel.com. We have a store locator. We are all over the U.S. Um, we are at Erewhon, Bristol Farms, Mother's Market, um, Berkeley Bowl, and Byright Market in San Francisco. We are also in all Foxtrot locations. That's like Chicago, you know, D.C. area, Texas, uh, Dom's in Chicago. And recently, our biggest launch was at, is at the Fresh Market, which is 84 stores, Midwest, uh, East Coast, so like Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri, all these places that I even haven't been to, but I'm dying to go to. So uh, you can find us at stores, also online, and our Bizu, our newest product, the cereal clusters that taste like Muddy Buddies, they are on Amazon. So, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I did not know that and I haven't yes. tried those yet. Oh my okay. God, they're so good. I can't wait. They're Thank so you good. so much, Sydney. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank to you. our listeners, this has just been such a treat. All right. Thank you. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?